Media Focus with Paul Blanchard. This week, reporting university studies. Newspapers are often criticised for misrepresenting academic research, but a number of new publications have found a way for reporters and researchers to work together. Will it work? Donald Trump. We're giving him too much airtime, some say, and the media's whipped themselves up into a frenzy, with Trump the beneficiary. Are they right? And celebrity editors. Kate Middleton is to guest edit the Huffington Post. But are celebrity editors a fad, and do they undermine credibility? And joining us as usual are two of the media's best and brightest. Stephen Kahn is editor of The Conversation UK, and Lauren Fedor is chief reporter at City AM. Media Focus. So first up, academic research. Newspapers are often criticised for writing sensational headlines and exaggerating the results of university studies. Organisations like the Science Media Centre have tried to solve this problem in the past by connecting researchers and journalists together. Now a number of new publications, like The Conversation, are giving researchers the chance to write the news themselves. Stephen, you're the editor of The Conversation UK. Why do you think this is the way ahead and how does it work? Well, first of all, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the way ahead, but I think it's a way ahead. Um, I think that for a long period of time, academics were very wary about dealing with the media. Um, many had had their fingers burned and been felt that they'd been misrepresented. As such, uh, a number of academics had essentially withdrawn from um, public debate. They were failing to deal with journalists, failing to um, make appearances on radio and television programmes. And and as such, uh, the public was being quite poorly served. And, and let's not forget that this is a sector that the public invests heavily in through public funding of universities. So we felt really that not only did the public... Have a, have a right to see a return in that investment. Is it, it's, it's in the public's interest to have access to that resource um, in a much greater way. But also, here was an opportunity for academics essentially to kind of show off a bit and, and show the world and the public what, what they had spent their careers researching and, and what, that, what that public investment had actually bought. That's what we have done. We've, in a couple of years, hired a team of editors to work with academics to speak directly to the public via the medium of a website, largely through um, authored articles, which the the academics get the bylines for, but the team of editors apply that the journalistic skills um, and and tease out the lines that are particularly strong and, and encourage the academics to write in a way that speaks directly to a wide public audience um, and not simply to another academic in an ivory tower somewhere. Lauren, as a kind of dyed-in-the-wool journalist-type journalist, do you think um, do you think this is encroaching in your territory, or is this helping you? Um, I wouldn't say it's encroaching. I think um, they're doing great work. There is an appetite, clearly, for this type of content. Uh, I think that's one of the things that people often, when they talk about new media and what readers care about, the assumption is that readers only want something quick and easy. And, and sometimes people do want news that's, digestible and has a clear top line. But there is a reader out there, and in fact, there are millions of readers out there who want to dig in a bit more to proper analysis, research, and and, and people who are at the top of their field. I think that there's still a a role for journalists to play, and it sounds to me like you you engage journalists in your organization. I I think that there is still a a skill in in journalism or a craft when it comes to identifying the top line or, or being able to say this is what the public does care about. Academics are often writing for their peers, so 
someone often, I think, would need to step in and say, well, this is what the wider audience is going to be interested in rather than the five other people that are specialists in your narrow field as well. Stephen, a fair charge? Well, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't, don't see it as a charge. criticism. outlined very, very well exactly what we do. Um, it, we have a team of now uh, 20 editors who all come from mainstream media backgrounds and are seeking out those top lines, working with academics to explain to them why pieces have to be structured in a certain way, why, why they have to be perhaps uh, crafted a bit more than the academics are used to, why a headline has to look a certain way. Yeah, the, the, so they're bringing those those journalistic skills to the table. And, so it's um, making academics, in a sense, become more media savvy. Yeah, it's, it's you know, we're, we're transferring our skills, in a sense, to, to academics to, to make them more media savvy. Each piece of work is a collaboration between an academic and a journalist. Sometimes a couple of, a couple of the editors get involved, so... It's bringing the, the, the flair of journalism and, and the style of journalism um, and the reach of journalism and, and wedding that with the knowledge of, of an academic who may have spent an entire career working on a certain subject. And also, I think, just I would add, importantly, is the sense of timing that, that a journalist brings to, to a piece. As I say, an academic can have great knowledge that, that has been honed over decades, but might not know when that knowledge is particularly um, of, of great use to the public or can, can illuminate a subject at a particularly potent moment. And, and that, that's where we come in. We, uh, we're on hand to say, look, you know, now is your time, now is the moment. Y- your knowledge is particularly valuable now. And if you write now, and it may have to be within the next two or three hours that, that you do it, um, but if you do it, you could find that you you reach a particularly big audience and it, often what we find is that the academic then follows up with interviews and in mainstream media as well. Can I just say one thing, which is that I think, you know, back to the word that you used, which was encroached, and the question of uh, academics picking up journalistic skills, I, I would say that I think among mainstream media organizations, there is also a, a desire for journalists to pick up some of these more academic skills as well. Just because there are these egregious examples of, particularly in the sciences or health research, data being misconstrued or headlines being drawn out of, of research that isn't quite saying what the headline is saying. Son's recent front page, for example, <laughs> on how many how many Muslims support ISIS. Yeah, well, and uh, I think there, to mind. there are those examples. There are some lists. I, I feel like there's a blog Tumblr out there somewhere that has like the list of all the things the Daily Mail says will give you cancer. Yes. And it runs a couple of hundred deep. And then there are some things that give you cancer and somehow don't give it to you. Yeah, lemons give you cancer and then lemons cure cancer. Exactly, exactly. Uh, But, but, you know, I I do think that there really is an attention to this uh, on a serious point among many editors across organizations to, to seek out journalists who can understand how to interpret statistics, what type of research sociological research is or or what these different kind of uh, experts are in fact doing and then being able to vet that research themselves too because a lot of research that's thrown at you as a journalist is not necessarily credible. Um, you know, I, I did a, a master's degree in journalism in the States that was part of a program that was focused on giving individuals the skills to understand academic research and I know that there are many programs in the UK that are equally trying to train the next generation of journalists to have that specialist knowledge and ability to engage with specialists in academia as well. I think that's absolutely right. And I think we've had a series of well-documented scandals throughout the last decade that, that didn't exactly show our profession in a great light. 
I also think in conjunction with that, we've had journalists under greater scrutiny from the public than, than ever before as social media has allowed people, um, allowed the, the public at large to pick over a piece within seconds of it being published. That that has forced the mainstream media to look to go back to a, a sense of having great in, greater integrity and to, to seek the truth and to seek to relay information in a way that's real. Uh, believable and reliable. Lauren, presumably like any other serious journalist, you, your inbox must be spammed by hundreds of generic crappy press releases every day. Do you welcome as a journalist the fact that one group of society, i.e. academic professionals, have become more media savvy and that therefore know how to talk your language and are more accessible, but in another way you've lost that exclusivity because whilst you might get a really good press release that's a good story, you're, it's not an exclusive. They're going to be sending that out to 10 other journals and newspapers and you're going to have to kind of fight for their, their business, as it were, find a unique angle. Maybe I'm just not dogged enough. I'm not so concerned about the exclusivity nature of it. I mean, there's, there's the exclusivity of a scoop, of finding a story and, and engaging with it and then sharing that story with people. But when it comes to finding an academic who's best positioned to explain their research, explain a phenomenon, debunk what one, you know, I cover politics a lot, what one politician says and, and say, well, no, that that's not quite right because the statistic they're citing is from 10 years ago or doesn't have a representative sample size. I mean, I, I welcome that. I think it, it is in many cases just provides better context and value added for our readers. It, just this week, I met with some politics professors actually who have put together something that they're calling the UK in a changing Europe. And they're basically offering themselves to me and every other uh, journalist out there and saying, look, in the many months of rallying and shouting that's going to be between us and the EU referendum, uh, we're here to answer your questions and try to suss out what's fact and what's fiction. I think that's great. That's an incredible resource to me and to the readers who who ultimately are the people I'm supposed to be serving, not me and whether or not they only call me because they're my friend rather than We can certainly create a friendship with them and create a working relationship with them. Do you find that people are being um, altogether more cooperative with you then as a, as a journalist? As they get more media savvy, it's not just the, the kind of press release, it's also the fact that they place an importance on building a relationship with people like yourself, chief reporters of well-read newspapers. To be honest, I haven't been uh, doing it long enough to say that there was a real uh, opposition and now there's some sort of open friendliness. Um, but, but certainly, you know, p- people's enthusiasm, willingness on the part of academics who may not have previously seen the need for media engagement uh, it certainly makes my life a bit easier, um, but but I wouldn't, you know, I, I would never have characterized it as a particularly negative relationship. It's just like any other source. So next up, Donald Trump. Despite widespread criticism, he still leads the race to become the Republican presidential candidate and continues to dominate the headlines worldwide. Some have criticised the media for allowing themselves to be sucked into the spectacle, questioning whether the furore about his UK investment affairs and a proposed ban on him entering the UK should even be making the headlines. Lauren, do you think the media has been taken in by Donald Trump and do you think this has contributed to his rise? I definitely think that the media has been taken in by him. I I am an American, so I continue to follow American media as well. And I think the media there and and across the world really has been uh, entranced by his story. And, And there is something to be said for his appeal. It is unprecedented, unlike any mainstream candidate that I think anyone has seen 
in any of our lifetimes. Uh, He's a disruptor, isn't he? Well, if you want to use that word, I I guess that's true. Certainly, uh, uh, I think it's fair to call him a populist. But, you know, so, so there is that newsworthiness of it. Is he an entertainer? Yes. Is he someone who became a household name in the States because he was presenting the American version of The Apprentice? Absolutely. And does he know how to work a camera? For sure. So, you know, is he playing the media? I'm open to that uh, that interpretation of what's going on here. And he said it himself. Uh, there is a an incident probably a couple of months ago now, but but he's had a long-running dispute with NBC, which is one of the major broadcasters in the States. Uh, they which, had The Apprentice, in fact, didn't they? They, they did, yes. And, and and they were scaling back that show. And then there was, a, there was a, a kind of fallout with the Miss America pageant, which was something that is a beauty contest that he owns. And after he made his initial controversial comments about uh, Mexican immigrants to the States, they uh, severed their ties with him. And then a matter of weeks later, when he starts surging in the polls, they're giving him him interviews on the main breakfast television program. He has a spot on Saturday Night Live, which is still a widely watched comedy show in the evenings, all under the same network. And, And he said in some interview on NBC, well, you know why you're putting me on. It drives the ratings. You know, so does he think he's playing everyone like a violin? Yeah. Do you think he actually wants to be president or do you think he has some kind of ulterior motive that he knows he'll fail at that, but it'll take his media career to the next stage? Oh, this is the question everyone's asking, isn't it? I I think it's probably a bit too far for it to be some sort of media stunt. Uh, He's toyed with public office in the past. It's not for me to say whether or not he... uh, This started out as a a media stunt and now has gone too far uh, for him to say... Hey, I was just kidding. Do you think he might end up with a nomination, though? I highly doubt it. I think the thing that people need to remember, and especially looking at it in London and, and seeing the way that the American presidential contest is covered, it is a very, very long process. And despite it feeling like we've been hammered with this story again and again and again, it is incredibly early days. The Iowa caucuses haven't even happened yet, and those are the first of many primary contest that will happen before an actual nomination, which isn't until late this summer. You know, if, if passed as precedent in all of these, uh, especially in the Republican field as of late, you've had some extreme candidates who poll very well early on. And then as the list is whittled down, the ultimate candidate becomes you know, a much more moderate option. What do you think to the UK media's take on it insofar as they don't quite know whether to give any legitimacy to the the ban Donald Trump from even coming to the UK type thing or whether, as Jeremy Corbyn said recently, that actually we'd rather he do come here so that we can try and reason with the guy? You know, I I do find it really interesting uh, watching it play out. As we're having this conversation, there's a debate in the House of Commons about whether or not to ban him. Every single news organization is running some sort of live blog and you can watch a video of it and the live streams. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'd all be floored by the traffic that that Westminster Hall debate is getting. Whether or not it passed the public interest test here, I think, is a, is, is a difficult one. You know, I, I think... Um, you know, a question like him threatening to pull his investment from Scotland, for example. You know, does that merit the front page of the newspaper? I don't think so. Does it, you know, catch people's eye? Definitely. Stephen? Um, no, I, was, I just noticed with some amusement that, the, uh, that there was a tweet earlier from the lobby saying that they were cooing with excitement that uh, proceedings at Westminster were being live tweeted by one of the, the major American networks. I think that... Uh, Flattered by the attention, exactly, never to return. Quite. Um, the sort of interest in Trump, clearly, as, as a sort of slightly sort of freakish character um, to, to, to UK eyes, 
I do think uh, his his management of the media is pretty remarkable. I think we're seeing something really quite uh, different in terms of scale. Uh, um, we hear a lot about Trump's millions, but his expenditure compared to some of the mainstream candidates has actually been very small. And yet the impact uh, has been huge. And he's known that um, you know, every time he said something offensive, controversial... Mexicans it, are all rapists, ban all yeah, Muslims, all this nonsense. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, every time he's done that, there's been this reaction of shock and horror and then a surge in the polls. Um, you know, often these incidents have, have cropped up when it seemed that his support has been ebbing slightly. You know, he's, he's the sort of master operator, it seems, of uh, the modern media and, and the sort of... Uh, the, the cycle of of the modern media, and you know, I don't think I don't think we should take that too lightly because I, you know, that I agree. I think it's unlikely that he will be the candidate, but who knows? You know, you know, the, the incredible may may just be possible. But I'm sure one person would be delighted if that was the outcome, and I think that's uh, Hillary Clinton. Do you think the UK media are trying to desperately to find a UK angle for this? It, it kind of, some of the coverage reminds me of the kind of coverage where, you know, a boat sank in the mid-Atlantic with 2,000 people lost, two of which were British. You know, it's that kind of thing where they're desperately trying to find a UK hook. Yeah, I think I think that the petition to, to ban him from the UK was always going to be an attractive media item. And, and when that then became something that had to be uh, discussed in, in, in the House of Commons as a result... Uh, it was it was always going to be something that was that was going to be that was going to spark a bit of a media feeding frenzy and, and you know it is highly entertaining so and I think oh you know we've also had figures like you know Boris Johnson uh, sort of jump in and, and very in a very entertaining way slap uh, slap down Donald Trump so uh, maybe it is slightly parochial but I think if we can all get involved in um, the early early stages of the American electoral circus then you know why not. The one thing I would say, though, and this is you don't want to bring the mood down a little bit, but it is important to remember that at the end of the day, it may very well be entertainment. And a lot of the value for for readers and viewers and everyone else is entertainment at the spectacle of it all. But at the end of the day, it is it is a news story. He is a viable candidate, whether or not, you know, I've said I don't think he he will ultimately be the candidate, but he is a, a viable contender for a very, very powerful job. That has real implications not only for people in the U.S., but for people here and everywhere else. You know, I, I know we're going to touch on the Huffington Post later in a different context, but they actually had originally classified all stories about him in their entertainment section uh, rather than in their news section. And then in light of some of his recent more incendiary comments, actually said, you know what, this is this is stop being a joke and, and now we need to cover him as a political candidate and not as entertainment figure. I mean, Lauren, do you think there is a rise of these kind of very media-savvy controversialists, I could call them, you know, people like Katie Hopkins, in a sense, you know, Boris Johnson, people like Donald Trump, where they they, they know how to work the levers of the media. So, as Stephen was saying, they don't need the same level of investment in their political campaigns because they, um, you know, they do slightly exaggerate or have a turn of phrase that they know is going to create a furore on Twitter and that furore is inevitably going to come to the attention of the mainstream media, which is going to amplify it and then eventually everyone's in a frenzy. Yeah, of course. There there are controversialists. I think there have been controversialists in a different media environment, though, in the past, and there probably will continue to be in the future. Do you, you think know, there'll be more? Potentially, think- yes. I mean, one, one would imagine there would be some sort of 
correcting in the system or in fact you know the media will evolve again uh, or continue to evolve in, in the years to come but certainly in the 24-hour news cycle which is so driven by comment and users engagement and people responding on social media and sharing it is ripe for these type of people Stephen, final comment on this in the sense of the boy who cried wolf do you think there'll be a moment where the controversialists cry controversy too many times and then we all just kind of turn off I don't think we'll turn off from this. I mean, I think as long as Trump's involved, this is compelling, uh, but um, not necessarily in a way that's to be celebrated, but it's it's cannot switch off. And, and it, it, as we get closer and closer to the sort of business end of this American electoral cycle, then um, the, the potency uh, of, of what Trump's saying becomes even more um, evident and, and somewhat terrifying. Yeah, I would just I would sort of echo something that that Lauren said. You know, that this isn't necessarily new in the sense that we have a big media figure taking center stage in an American election campaign. We have, of course, had a, a previous American president who was a Hollywood star before he became a politician. We've also had a was governor, Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> He went the other way around, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think we've, and you know, of course, we've also had the uh, California governor who was uh, a Hollywood star. So the, and the, has returned to being a Hollywood star. Well, indeed. I'm one of the few people that thought Terminator Genesis was quite good, actually. But <laughs> we digress. But I think uh, clearly, you know, entertainment um, has always been at the heart of politics. It's, it's, uh, it's a, plays a major part in American politics and... That isn't to take away from the serious nature of what's going on. Ultimately, we're talking about the government uh, of the world's most powerful country for the next four years. And I do think that the as we get closer to um, various polling days um, that, that are going to lead us to November, I think that we will see policies scrutinised much more closely. And I think that is actually something that we haven't heard much about from Trump at all. We've heard a lot of noise. Held a, held a lot of populism, and he really is a true populist. Um, he is someone who's a notion of a homogenous and virtuous society, but he makes it absolutely clear that he thinks certain people aren't part of that society. So that's that's kind of pure populism in its traditional sense. He, but he will now have to provide some answers as to what he would actually do, and um, you know, I think I think he may struggle when it comes to that. So finally, celebrity guest editors. The Duchess of Cambridge, no less, Kate Middleton, will guest edit the Huffington Post UK next month to raise the profile of children's mental health issues. Despite her evident good intentions, some are saying that celebrity guest editors undermine the credibility of news brands and that it's a marketing gimmick which should be dropped. There is also the issue of whether it's right in principle for a member of the royal family to be taking an editorial role at all. Stephen, celebrity guest editors discuss... Do you see how I tried to make that an academic type uh, <laughs> approach? Uh, oh, I feel well. like you're in an exam all over <laughs> yeah, again. Exactly. Time starts now. Yeah, I was never particularly good at exams. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, celebrity guest editors. I, I don't have any sort of fundamental objection to them. Um, I think um, about nine years ago I was uh, working at The Independent when Bono uh, guest edited that, and I think that was one of the earlier um Everyone's doing it nowadays, of, the Today programme, Huntington Post. Indeed, indeed. And, you know, it, it, can be, it can be fun, it can bring a different perspective. I think it's always important for, for media outlets to, to sort of reach outside of their bubble. Um, and I guess with celebrities, they're, they're reaching into another bubble, but uh, it's not exactly always representative of the, uh, the world at large. But, 
it can produce some interesting results. I think you know largely this is driven by a desire for reads or a desire for newspaper sales or um, listeners. But um, what do you think you know, about the, the propriety of um, of Kate being a member of the royal family? Do you think that's appropriate? I think it's probably good for the royal family. Um, I don't have any sort of objections to it. Uh, for Brand um, Windsor, uh, Windsor, yeah. For Brand Windsor, it's probably quite a smart move. But uh, is it good for the Huffington Post? Kate Middleton's a fairly marketable uh, individual at the moment. It probably is. Lauren, you lot don't have royalty. I'm a Republican, so I, I want an elected head of state uh, that we can get rid of if we don't like them. Do you think this is a an abuse of uh, royal power? Well, I, I, I can't really imagine that uh, the Duchess's people were calling Ariana Huffington and saying, you better give me these column inches and you better give them to me right now. I, I'm sure the approach was the other way around. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's an abuse of power at all and I don't think it's improper. But, you know, as you point out, maybe I'm I'm just not quite uh, accustomed to the uh, the monarchy and its stipulations. Uh, you know, I, I completely agree. I think it's actually quite a, a good thing if, if we're talking specifically about about uh, the royal family uh, to be more open and engaged and accessible and, you know, reach a certain audience in a, in a different uh, and real, quote unquote, real way. As far as the, the notion, the original question about whether celebrity guest editors are a good or a bad idea, again, I'm, I'm not going to say anything much different. I, I'm not really bothered by it. I think in many cases it can be fun and something different. You mentioned the Today program, and that's over the week between Christmas and New Year's. There's not a whole lot of hard news happening at that time anyway. And you know, if it if it brings a different perspective and, and uh, adds adds some value, then then why not? Would City AM ever consider having a celebrity guest editor? You know, I asked my editor that when I walked out the door before heading here, and apparently it has been suggested, but no, uh, you know, substantive steps have been taken in that direction. Presumably, if Bono was the celebrity guest editor, it would just be loads of blank sheets of paper, wouldn't it? He'd <laughs> say, "I condemn all of this. It should be boycotted." Well, I don't know. He's at he's at the World Economic Forum this week, so he's he's quite good at rubbing uh, elbows with chief executives and. Business leaders. So. so give us a wish list then. Come on, who would you want celebrity oh, guest I'm gonna, editing? I'm going to get myself in trouble if that's the case. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, we, we'd love to hear from, from uh, let's see, 100 chief executives and uh, perhaps the chancellor. These are the types of people that we cover day in, day out. And if, if we heard a little bit more about what they thought about the issues of the day beyond the uh, pre-approved quotes from their offices, that, that would be great. Rather than choose who my fantasy guest editor would be, I think I'd like to pick my favourite from the past, and that was a very early one, who was uh, Salvador Dali, who edited Paris Vogue in 1971. Oh, you're too cool cool for school, aren't you? There's always one. You know, that takes a bit of beating, really, uh, and and I'm not quite sure anyone's scaled those heights in in the years since. Well, I'm a I'm an evangelical fundamentalist atheist, and my favourite <laughs> guest editor was, uh, was Professor Richard Dawkins, who came with a, an alternate thought for the day on Radio Four we, uh, for the Today program, which was reality based. Well, guys, we've run out of metaphorical tape, unfortunately. So I think just the final bit is so that uh, our listeners can follow you on Twitter and kind of uh, read your work online. Stephen, should we start with your good self? What's the website address and what's your Twitter handle, personally and professionally? You can find the website at uh, theconversation.com. My Twitter uh, handle is at Stephen Khan, P-H in the Stephen K-H-A-N, and we're at Conversation UK. Lauren? Well, you can read City AM online at cityam.com. It's a great read. 
notes. You could follow me on Twitter, which is just at Lauren Fedor, or you could support the traditional print media and pick up City AM at your local tube, bus or train stop. Excellent. Well, guys, thanks ever so much for coming on. Uh, for those that want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Paul W.R. Blanchard. And you can also go to mediafocus.org.uk and leave your email address in the box and receive a shiny update once a fortnight letting you know when the new podcast is out. But that's it. Thanks ever so much for listening. The associate producer was Jordan Greenway. The social media producer was Hannah Thompson. Catch you next time. A Big Things Media Production. Big Things! <laughs>